Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about RRR. Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know Desi Nach? What's Desi Nach? This is an Indian Telugu language epic superhero action drama. Directed by S.S. Rajamuli. The cast includes N.T. Rama Rayo Jr., Ram Charan, A.J. Devgan, Ali Bhatt, Sharia Saran, Samuthi Rakuni, Ray Stevenson, Allison Duty, and Olivia Morris. I watched this movie on Netflix. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Netflix. Very convenient. Yeah, the next question is, what language did you watch this movie in? I watched it in Hindi with English subtitles. What about you? I watched it in... Well, first I watched it in Brazilian Portuguese. I don't know why it was defaulted to Brazilian Portuguese, but that's what I watched at the beginning. Now, so my question for you is, did your version of the movie have mo- like the characters who are speaking Telugu speaking Hindi? Like, because the- originally they're speaking Telugu, but now it's dubbed in Hindi, right? That's the version you watched? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Uh, okay. Because, yeah, the movie was originally in a different language, but then on Netflix it says RRR in parentheses Hindi. Um, but you know, the English characters speak English right. for the most part. Okay. Yeah. So when I watched it in Brazilian Portuguese, every character was speaking Brazilian Portuguese, even the English characters, right. which I thought was wild. And I, I originally I was like, didn't know it was Portuguese. So I thought it, they were speaking Hindi. So I was like, wow, I didn't realize that the British were so committed to like becoming part of the cultures that they were colonizing <laughs> that even in private, the British characters or people would still <laughs> speak like, Hindi. You were like, well, this is out of character for the British. <laughs> yeah, and then, but, but that's honestly, that was the thing that tipped me off to it, which is when I started clicking around on the options. Then I realized Hindi was probably the the version i should watch it in but then i i felt like i could still see that their lips were not matching the sounds that were coming out of their like voices so i was like if this is going to be dubbed i might as well watch it in a language that i at least somewhat understand so that's when i decided to watch it in spanish uh (laughs) which the so all the characters that would be speaking telugu were speaking spanish and then all the english characters were were speaking english oh okay okay that's interesting (laughs) It's and I don't understand Spanish 100%, but I still got some of it. And honestly, it's just like an aesthetic choice at this point because you're translating it so far yeah. out of the original uh, recording, which is which is such a surprise to me. I don't understand why they can't have Telugu version on Netflix. I don't know either. Maybe there's some sort of you know um, studio drama in the background here that we don't understand. I mean, sure. they, it was not even an option to watch it dubbed in English. Right. 
which I mean, maybe it doesn't exist, but the Spanish dub definitely exists. And let me tell you, those voice actors really knocked it out of the park. So, okay, great. <laughs> uh, I think it honestly, I think it amplified my viewing experience. Um, but enough about the uh, the language barrier on this film. Let's get into our synopsis that you wrote. A young Indian girl named Molly sings a song for the British governor's wife, Catherine. The song is beautiful, so beautiful that Catherine pays the girl's mother and takes her. The rest of Molly's tribe is aghast, but are powerless against the might of the British Empire. The British can do whatever they want to the native people, beating them, killing them, stealing their land and their children. It has been this way for decades. But this small event, the kidnapping of a child, sets in motion an epic of friendship, betrayal, and revolution. The story follows two characters, Beam, the shepherd of the Gond, whose mission is to find Molly and return her no matter the obstacle, and Raja Rama, an Indian man who works for the British police. Ram is tasked with locating Beam, but he knows nothing about him. He doesn't know what he looks like or when he is coming. He only knows he must be stopped. The two pursue their goals ruthlessly. For weeks, they spend time in Delhi, looking for leads. Ram almost captures one of Beam's men, but the man barely escapes. But this puts both men in the same place at the same time. Ram is on top of a bridge while Beam and his crew happen to be beneath on a nearby shore. The bridge also supports train tracks, but a passing train derails, falling to the river below and exploding, sending fire everywhere. A young boy who is fishing from a raft becomes trapped by the fire. Ram and Beam both spot him and scramble to help him. Nobody wants to risk it, but then they spot each other. Without any words, they come up with a plan. With Beam on a motorcycle and Ram on a horse, they each grab one end of a rope and swing over the bridge in true cinematic fashion. They rescue the boy and grasp each other's hands in mutual respect. Neither knows the other's true purpose, but they soon become best friends. They go on walks, share meals, and just enjoy each other's company. In secret, they both try to desperately complete their missions, but make very little progress. With Rom's help, Beam gets invited to a British party. Both men attend, but Beam is quickly embarrassed by a jealous British twat. What follows is an epic Indian dance number transforming the stuffy party into an unforgettable event. This triggers both men to make a breakthrough in their competing goals. Rom realizes where he can find the man that escaped him in the revolution meeting, and Beam makes it inside the governor's palace, where he finds an imprisoned Molly. Rom's torturing yields very little information, but the captured man throws a deadly snake at him, which sends Rom stumbling into the street looking for help. Beam finds him and nurses him back to health. As Rom is recovering, Beam reveals everything. He tells Rom his real name and that he is planning to rescue Molly that night. Rom realizes the man he has been searching for has been within his grasp this entire time, but he is too weak to act. Beam leaves to enact his plan. Beam storms the governor's palace, armed with fire and wild jungle creatures. But before he can save the girl, Rom arrives in a flaming chariot and attempts to arrest his best friend. They fight, and Rom gets the upper hand. Beam is sentenced to a public whipping, and then to death. Rom's actions grant him the rank of special officer, which has been his secret goal for many years. You see, 
Rom isn't actually a fan of the British either. His entire family was killed in a British raid of his village. His father trained him from an early age to be an expert marksman, fighter, and tactician, and gave him the goal to put a weapon in the hands of every Indian. With the right firepower, he believed they could overthrow the British and take back their country. Now that Rom was a special officer, he would have access to guns and would be able to secretly arm his village and anyone else that wanted to fight. But in the process, he betrayed his best friend and that friend's noble mission. Ram is forced to whip beam in front of a crowd of Indian people as the governor and his wife jeer and call for more blood. But beam never yields and never kneels. Instead, he sings, and that inspires the crowd to rise up and attack the British guards. After the whipping, Ram realizes that he was wrong and that his friendship with Beam is more important than his mission. He hatches a plan to save Beam from being hanged and to return Molly to him. Beam and Molly escape, but Ram is captured. He is deemed a traitor and will also be executed. The entire British army is looking for Beam and his family. They are not even able to buy food for fear of being spotted and captured. Luckily, they are saved by Ram's old girlfriend, Sitha. Sitha doesn't know who they are or what role they played in Ram's capture, but she tells them all the whole story. Beam decides he must save his friend. Beam rescues Ram from prison by stacking him on his shoulders and doing some superhuman stunts. The two friends escape into the jungle. The governor sends the special forces to kill them, but Beam and Rom kill basically all of them by themselves. Then, with Rom on a horse and Beam on a motorcycle, they storm the governor's palace, igniting a room of explosives and bring the entire building crumbling down. The only survivor is the governor. They shoot straight through the head, ending the British's hold over India forever. Everyone returns home to their families and lives happily ever after as free people. The end. There you have it. The events of RRR. How many R's begin... is that? <laughs> it's three R's. And there's a bunch of R's in this movie when it, when it comes to what those R's stand for. Uh, but we'll begin our analysis of this film with our pros and cons. Joey, what did you like about RRR? This movie is epic. Um, in the, you know, the correct sense of the word, I would say, uh, it just ramps up the action over and over and over again. The characters are all really fun and I want to see them win the whole time. It's rich with metaphor and symbolism, even if none of that's very subtle. Um, it's very well written. It has this tightly polished script that doesn't like leave a lot of room for dead space, despite it being a really long movie. Um, and it sacrifices realism for aesthetics, which is something I deeply appreciate. And two more words, dance sequence. Uh, absolutely <laughs> awesome. And one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that it is not cynical. What about you? What did you like about this movie? I agree with you on the aesthetics, the color palette, the cinematography, the insane action sequences. It was all great to look at. I think I agree with you. The writing was great. Our main characters were memorable and interesting, and their interactions with each other felt really meaningful and just really well planned out. The order of 
things that we learn about them and uh, like the the way that we find out what their motivations are, I think is masterfully executed to keep us on the edge of our seats the entire movie, which I really appreciated. No animals were harmed in the filming of this movie, which I think is great to mention before you show me the special effects animals, because <laughs> then I'm definitely more lenient on what those animals look like. And I think that's honestly this, I had never really thought about it that hard. I don't think, but honestly I could do without any more animals in movies, unless your dog is just like playing a cute dog. Like it's literally playing a pet. Yeah. You don't need, we don't need those dogs to be actors. Dogs can't really watch movies. There's no reason for them to have to go through whatever. They don't need the representation. Garbage. The representation yeah. argument doesn't work for, dogs we've we've <laughs> progressed past the point where we need dogs i don't know i don't want to be only the sith deal in absolutes so i don't know, I want to say ev- like no animals at all movies but i'm totally okay with replacing animals with cgi uh as long as you meet this minimum threshold for realism that's fine yeah. with me let the yeah. animals live their own lives uh when we have a dog director then then we can relitigate <laughs> we can revisit this, this. But, <laughs> yeah but i think rrr hit it right on the head because they they have great animal action in this movie i don't have to worry about what kind of bizarre brutality happened behind the scenes to make that possible um just like you said the dance <laughs> sequence uh is fantastic there's more than one and <laughs> they're, they're like i'm so happy that they uh didn't uh not only did they like uh leave them in they didn't even think to shorten them in any way that you get no. to live them out in all their glory which is amazing and uh but also for a movie that's this fun and reaches this these heights of uh whimsy it's also very dark at times and i appreciate its range because yeah. despite having moments where i'm like this is ridiculous it also <laughs> felt like it had real stakes and kept me uh, invested in uh you know seeing our characters succeed lest they suffer some cruel fate uh that it's definitely seemed possible definitely. and lastly this movie just rocks dude it was so much fun like it's this movie from start <laughs> to finish just had me going uh so i i i uh, yeah i loved it so um <laughs> let's talk about what we didn't like joey what are your cons it's still a long movie. Um, right around, like, as we're transitioning from the second to third act, it starts to drag a little bit. And uh, that, I felt that way after that I watched it the second time. During the during my first watch, I felt exactly the same way that you did, that you just described, where I was, like, on the edge of my seat the entire time. I was having fun at every single moment. But the second time, I guess because I kind of knew what was about to happen, I was, you know, I, I was like, okay, well, I was kind of like, you know, pulling up my computer and looking up facts about the movie instead of paying super close attention. So it was, uh, it definitely, you can definitely feel that it has this length to it, even though I feel like for the most part, it earns that. Um, I think the acting is pretty exaggerated, which lend, lends itself to being more fun than serious. And I think it also is um, part of the overall like tone of this movie but it kind of it it makes it more cinematic than it is realistic and uh, there's also that reliance on superheroes there's no doubt in our in, in like the context of the movie that our two protagonists are superheroes they that makes them less relatable but there are ways in which they become relatable through their motivations and stuff so instead of um you know being able to say oh it's right here in my lap i have to reach a little further to you know, see where that, um, see how this movie applies to my actual life, I guess, or, or ga- gather that relatable message. Um, but that's work I'm willing to do at the same time. So 
Uh, I will I will hedge all of my cons to say that they're <laughs> also pros. <laughs> um, okay, well, I had a few things as well uh, that fit into the cons category. First of all, Jenny is not fleshed out enough and is pretty much an afterthought in the second half of the movie. I felt like she was fine in the first half of this movie, which, by the way, this movie definitely has distinct halves. There's the yeah. first half and the second half, and you can tell where which side of that half you're on, uh, depending on which side of the like hanging by the holy threads but then their hands turn into like water and fire and it's like this animation sequence <laughs> oh that no okay yeah. we got it all right listen we got it where where have the title sequences gone you know james bond is the only franchise that has title sequences anymore you know we we got to bring back title sequences i love that about this movie it has yes. these moments like they're not part of the movie at all right they're not even pretending they just take a little like sometimes they take those two like you know freeze frames or whatever and then they make them into you know, uh, kind of like a, a matte painting or something, you know, some sort of facade that they dress up with CGI. But yeah, I want more of that, honestly. Like, let's let's bring back the the title sequence instead of these, uh, you know, just little things in the corner that say where they where they're located. Let's let's have a whole bombastic, you know, like establishing, um, you know, title thing where where things are flying out of the air and there's all these like little hints about what's going to happen in the movie later and stuff, and they show all the all the actors and director and all the producers and stuff yeah i like that stuff let's let's i need more of that so yeah, yeah. no i loved it and and i like i'm even though i'm talking about it during the cons I, I did love the distinct kind of break between the first half and the second half for anybody who's worried about this movie being too long for them if that's how you feel i recommend watching this movie in two halves uh which is the way that i did it because i spent like a whole day between watching those two halves pondering the things that happened in the first half because there's kind of this climax that happens right there at the 90 minute mark so uh i, f- I felt like that was great but but to get back to the cons the, in the first half we get to know jenny a little bit she's a key character in the things that happen mm-hmm. uh but then in the second half she's absolutely an afterthought and her coming back in later to play like kind of a key role in the the jailbreak and uh, and also like kind of the destruction of the palace felt like it came out of absolutely nowhere which is also my other criticism the ending felt rushed which is surprising in a film this long so yeah, uh, and i'll expand on that a little bit more later in our overall section but first i'll pass it over to you joey to get us started the first time i watched this movie I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I was pumping my fist. I was yelling in triumph. I was tapping my toes. I just loved it. Um, on the second watch, I wasn't as excited, but I can pinpoint better for you what I like so much about RRR. This is a movie that takes full advantage of the medium of the action blockbuster. With today's special effects, literally nothing is out of reach. Anything you can imagine is possible to show on screen. And yet today's blockbusters are missing the soul of yesterday's. We have franchises of recycled garbage, cynical protagonists that are just too cool to be even to even be a star of a movie. And, <laughs> bu- and buckets of low effort, uninspired, forgettable slop. With the ability to make anything, many have done exactly that and made the lowest tier of cinema. But RRR uses that same medium to build a modern epic, a story, about the t- a story about the turning point of civilization, about the people rising to overthrow their oppressors. In a time when radical action seems to be on everyone's mind, a movie about revolution captures that moment. 
A story with some of the best action I've ever seen. Some with unique and ever-changing twists on fighting waves and waves of enemies. I feel like I've seen that kind of concept a thousand times before, but it's never left me so engaged and so inspired. I really feel like this is different. There's something about the sound effects they use for when they punch people. It just feels more solid. The speed and power behind each move matters. So, so we care more about like the stakes of each thing, right? It's not just like random CGI, you know, bullets or or like you know, energy blasts hitting people, and you have no context for it, right? Everything like has that weight to it, and you can feel the 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 effects, right? When, uh, for example, when when uh, Beam and Rom are fighting in the courtyard of the governor's palace, right? Beam grabs that. Um, it's like a like I don't know what it's exactly what it's called. It's like it looks like a big chess pawn. It's like a big yeah. metal thing that holds the chains to indicate where like the garden starts. He's like grabbing it and pulling it and then throwing it on the ground. You hear him grunting. You see the thing moving and then it hits the ground with this huge thud and it goes it digs itself into the ground. Like you get you understand the power that this guy has, right? There's there's a there's a consequence. And if that had hit Rom, he would have been brained like that would have been bad (laughs) and so like that there's there that is missing i feel like from a lot of like modern blockbusters there's all this like it's all just kind of fudged when someone gets hit by something it doesn't matter um but this movie i think captures that in a really well done way it feels it never feels unbalanced never feels out of place it just it feels always feels fresh but again, okay, this is definitely a superhero movie. Our two protagonists are anything but normal. They show superhuman agility, strength, and stamina, which I can never hope to match. But they also show superhero, superhuman perseverance, hope, and determination, and loyalty. These are all qualities that anyone can match. It's simply a matter of will. I think that's what brings them home to me. It makes them relatable and fun to watch. I can say if... If I could do what they do, then I would act the same way. And maybe I would yield better results stuff. And maybe that's not really true. Maybe I wouldn't have that. But this movie makes me want to believe that that, that's true. And I think that's a really important thing to point out is that there's almost this, uh, it's proportional. The more a character has like the ability to persevere, the more a character has to hope, the more determined a character is, even the more loyal a character is, the stronger they are, the higher they can jump, the better their aim is when launching yes. a projectile. And even though that's kind of a ridiculous way to like build up the, the power level of your character, it's so consistent throughout this movie that it it helps to ground it so that you feel like even though obviously you can't do any of this stuff in real life it makes sense because this person has such elevated elevated qualities about them the physical ones are just one of many elevated attributes absolutely no they're they're exaggerations of people in every in every direction and uh, even this movie does two things at once right it does it's able to take this action and make it feel like it matters and it's also able to ramp up the ridiculousness of it over and over and over again right it starts (laughs) off with two like insane sequences of beam fighting a tiger right and i think such a clever set piece i mean let's just appreciate that for a second right he has to you know it's not explain how the trap works exactly all you know is that there's two ropes that have to like hold together, right? They had to be close together in order to keep the tiger at bay. And Beam has to literally do one of those, like, you know, uh, a gym, um, 
gym machine exercises where he like literally brings his arms closer together and like just as how strong he is depends on how like whether that tiger is going to eat him or not basically and he has like he was doing legit like mr universe poses with trying to put that together like it it actually reminded me of uh, infinity war where Mm -hmm. thor has to like open the forge yes and he's doing it by like flexing it was very like it reminded me a lot of that especially with like how bulked out free beam is yes yes exactly so and then of course it does, that doesn't even work right then like the, the tiger snaps the rope and then he has to think fast and use some sort of i don't know like uh fruit or something and beam <laughs> beam the beam beams the tiger on the nose to knock it out right it's like the agility the like the the dexterity the aim right you just gotta f- freaking throw it you got one shot and, uh, and he totally nails it. And then, of course, there's Rom. Yes, wait, wait, wait. Before we okay. describe Rom's situation, you got to play the quote. Ah! Arrest that bastard! And bring him to me. Ah! Ah! I loved this sequence. This sequence to me stands out as like one of the best action sequences I've ever seen. Like obviously a little bit of recency bias, but the way they set this up makes it look like he's up against such impossible odds with this endless sea of rioting people outside of this uh, jail. And it's like, they're pushing up against the gate. The gate's about to come down. Literally every other police officer that was in there falls on the ground out of like, you know, fear of this, <laughs> this mob. That's this, this imp- uh, imposing mob. But instead he stands tall and then jumps this gate and lands within the mob and just starts going to work. Whack, 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 fighting his way through. And you're like, okay, this will last five seconds. And it really does. He, he gets mobbed immediately and even gets his head like smashed by a rock enough that you would think he's done for. If anything, he, maybe he's dead. But then they defy your expectations by having him one by one break this guy's hand, poke this guy out, throw these guys all on top of each other and continue the fight. And like you were saying, it continues to up the ante and like you get used to the power level he's at, but he's like, I'm not even done yet. I'm going (laughs) even further than that. And Oh, it was just amazing. It is amazing. I mean, when when the uh, like you see the crowd, right? And I I watched uh, Corridor Digital did a video about this movie, and they commented that they said that they think these crowd shots were real, like they actually had like a ton of actual people um, or extras like populating it. It wasn't just a um, uh, it wasn't just like a like a CGI crowd. And the other thing that they pointed out, which is very clever, and on second rewatches obvious um if you think about it rom is the only one in the crowd not wearing a hat or a turban and the guy he's after is the only guy wearing red so you can always see where he is when they show the crowd shot and how close he is to him oh it's so clever because yeah. it, it just gives you such a good framing about like what you're looking for looking what you're looking at and yeah when when the when the commanding officer says uh, arrest that man. It just sounds so stupid. It's like, what? What are you saying? Like, <laughs> how? How? Like, why? Like, like, you, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? It just sounds silly. Like, I'm just laughing at this like, at this guy, thinking that he would even do that. Because even he, he seems upset, right? But he doesn't seem like he's like willing to go out there. He's he's more like, 
arrest that man. Uh, I guess, like, you know, like, I guess that's what we're <laughs> supposed to do. But the fact that he goes, he like, he never even pauses, right? It's, it's never even, it never hesitates. It's just like the ramp up and then he jumps over the fence. Yeah. It's so cool. It's so freaking cool. And then he makes it, he makes it all the way back, uh, like through the gate with the guy. And then he like splashes his face with water uh, in slow motion. And water gets- that says fire on yes. it too. And he yes. was introduced to us as the fire. Right. <laughs> and then he gets back in line, like right there on the fence. Like he's all like bloodied. He's got cuts all over his face and everything, but he's like standing strong just like he was before he went over the fence as if nothing, like it meant nothing to him. And then the crowd's like, all right, <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can see the crowd dissipating in the reflection of his pupil. Like, yes. what an insane shot that was, too. I mean, all together. Like, if I was trying to convince somebody to watch this movie and I only had five minutes, yeah, that scene, boom, watch it. Honestly, you could probably do a few scenes, but that would be my choice of, like, this is what this movie has to offer, especially because that, his, his like, motivations there scale uh, or, like, his, uh, his, like, the way he reacts to that scene scales because trying to overthrow the British empire is also like this impossible monumental task. And he's, he's against impossible odds, but he'll go to the lengths to be undercover for 15 years to be able to pull it off. So it's like, it's right on track with who like Rom is throughout this entire film. He has this quote, which is in, well, well, a different language. I would say, I was going to say Toluga, but, I watched it in Hindi, you watched it in Spanish, so I'll just say a different language. Um, that I, that like, you know, kind of his, is his thesis statement, you might say. Um, he says, <clears throat> Let not the result be your motive, nor let your attachment be to inaction. I don't care about the result. I will be moving toward my goal until my last breath. Lord! Damn! Shoot! freaking awesome <laughs> it's like unstoppable uh, a completely unstoppable force um and yeah I, I, th- like this scene sells the movie for you for for the audience and then um i feel like it just keeps getting wilder and wilder from here like they it, it keeps matching that level and then like every fight scene after that and even the dance sequences and everything it's just another anti up so like again like it's 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 taking something it's making this this uh kind of realism argument saying like this action is real it has consequences but it keeps going more and more it keeps building up it keeps like you know just nudging a little bit each time until you get to something absolutely insane <laughs> just totally ridiculous <laughs> and i just appreciate that so much i i love that because i i, I don't really necessarily care about realism especially in a movie like this because it's it's just trying to be fun you know and i think the dedication to making something that is entertaining is i think one of this movie's best qualities i totally agree with that i think there's a certain i mean it kind of harkens back to one of my favorite movies of like all time sucker punch where if you can set yourself up to have something completely unrealistic but like justified within the scope of your film then by all means you should feel free to do that yes not every movie has to be complete realism uh to be considered good right um yeah so i think the acting in this movie leaves um a lot to kind of be desired but i th- also feel like it is totally consistent everything is exaggerated and although the stakes feel very real everything else is sort of cinematically enhanced 
But there is a moment that really transformed this movie from something very entertaining into something that holds a special place in my heart. On a second rewatch, like I, I, um, I identified this scene as the moment I fell in love with this movie, and it is completely because of the acting. So this is uh so sita and uh okay so let me set this up a little bit so beam has just escaped from the british right he has molly he has his family with him but they are looking for him they are tearing every city apart they have surrounded him and his family right they're 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 on all sides they are just hiding in this like communal tent or like this communal hut or something the only the other person there's a couple there's a bunch of other people in that hut in the hut the only other person that matters is Sita, who is Rom's old girlfriend, basically they've been like together since she they were children. Um, they, they were like best friends, like very at a very young age. Um, and she sees them, overhears them talking about their, their plight, that they're hungry and that they are afraid of being caught. And the, some British co- uh, British like officers come in, and she goes right up to them and says, "Oh, they have small. There's smallpox. There's smallpox in here. Can you help us?" And then that scares the British off. And then you know, Beam comes up to her and says, "You saved us. Thank you." And she says, "I'm like." She introduces herself and says why she's here. She's looking for rom because rom's about to be executed she got a letter from the government saying that so she explained rom's whole story which is of course that he uh was only acting as a police officer to get like to infiltrate the the british government uh and to gather enough power so that he could you know arm arm the populace so 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 in this moment there are two moments of realization one from Beam as he realizes that his friend never truly meant to betray him and that rom's mission was indeed noble and from Sita, when she realizes that these people she saved were not strangers, but the very people Rom sacrificed everything to save. Maybe this comparison is inappropriate, but this moment is Shakespearean to me. The miscommunications and lies fall away, and all our characters see the truth plainly. Sita f- sees the hands of fate at play in her life, and Beam is devastated. He looks at his hands as tears roll down his cheeks. I beat him with these hands. I left my closest friend to die, he laments. It's so beautiful. It's the weight and melodrama of a Greek tragedy. It's the pure power of cinema. This movie works so well for me because every moment is built on top of the previous ones. It establishes quickly high stakes and then spends a lot of time exploring just how difficult it'll be for Beam and his friends to be successful. And then halfway through, the stakes are raised again with Rom's story. And then just when all hope seems lost, when failure is around every corner, we have an incredible payoff after incredible payoff. It just delivers. It sets expectations high and it never falters. (laughs) <laughs> I totally agree with your evaluation that this movie is Shakespearean. It's it reminds me so much of various uh, Shakespeare plays where the, all the characters can't recognize each other. Yes, <laughs> even though they're right in front of each other, yes. and it's like the exact you know misunderstanding necessary to continue the story, uh, which is. I mean, obviously, entertaining. Shakespeare is, uh, there's a reason we all know who he is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think that's that's really true. Um, and um, honestly, I've never seen a Bollywood movie before besides, like, passively watching them in, like, Indian restaurants. Sometimes I'll, like, have them on. But, like, I'm not paying attention and I'm yeah. joining it halfway through or whatever. Um, so I have no idea how out of the ordinary any of the things in this Bollywood film uh, like 
is, but it is drastically different from what I'm used to seeing in American cinema. Uh, it has so much slow motion, lots of over the top action, lots of like running really quickly. And then it's revealed the thing that they're running away from is right in front of them. And then it's like revealed in slow motion. Like the part where Rom, you were talking about like the part where Rom makes big progress by recognizing the paint on the color that was on the painter's fingernails. So then he goes back and like searches for him. Like when he sees him and the guy recognizes him as well, he starts running away through the building and like, he's like doing like jumps and stuff and, and eventually bursting through a door and immediately running right into Rom. That is straight out of Indian TikTok. Like uh, that <laughs> you could have the exact same scene, except it's, it's just one scene where a dude steals some other dude's cell phone. And then he runs down a hallway just to get clotheslined by the guy. He just stole the cell phone from <laughs> at the other end of the hall it would be impossible. But it, like, and as soon as he gets hit, it's like in slow motion, you know? And, um, So it was interesting to see kind of that play out in like a full length film. But I also think it was just a lot of adjusting to the norms of a different culture, you know, and uh, while that can be jarring at first, I also think it what it's what makes watching a movie like this so novel because there are things that maybe are more normal to a different audience that to me are completely, you know, shocking or, or surprising or just fresh and um like for instance i love the emphasis on special effects and action in this uh like we've been talking about it looked great there were times where it did kind of look fake or like ridiculous but it always looked epic and i I think that's like an important thing to get across because maybe the animals all coming off of the like power sliding truck (laughs) in like maybe all the animals didn't look the same or or didn't look (laughs) hyper realistic but i'll be damned if that wasn't an epic thing to make them all do at the same time so like so so that's what i mean when i say that is it's like whether it was realistic or not whether sometimes you had to roll your eyes at how it's like that was clearly not a real person but cgi it always was in service to this consistent tone of like transcendent epic right like if yeah i think i mean i think you said this earlier and maybe in a different way but like why would you not do that right like why yeah. concern yourself with the bounds of physics or reality when you can do this instead you know right and like when uh when uh beam and rom finally face off against each other right and they're, they're fighting and they're like uh rom uh sends beam into a fountain and then rom runs into a uh a fireworks stand that happens to be there and like so beam has all these like fount- water fountains and stuff like all this like like water's coming up behind him and then uh rom has all these fireworks going off in the background there's one that like perfectly circles his head in, like this nice spiral it's just like oh it looks so cool like like why you know why not do that why why ever why would you ever try to concern yourself with like what might happen and just show us something <laughs> cool instead? And yes, especially <laughs> when the thing you're showing us has already been set up thematically. Yes, uh, and in that like I, this is the fire guy, this is the water guy, right? So yeah, so stuff like that was awesome. Although I will like backpedal a little bit on this praise by saying that this over the top action at times was a double edged sword for me. I really appreciated it because it was fun and just it made things exciting. But there were moments where I was, it was so over the top that it was ridiculous and outright hilarious uh, where there were times where I was laughing, where I'm not sure I was like it, the intention was comedy. Like the, 
the jailbreak where he puts him on his shoulders. Which, <laughs> oh my <okay>. god, <laughs> still epic. But my first thought was from uh, Have you ever seen Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell? Yes. There's like a scene where he's like talking to all the characters or all the kids on his team and like saying like the different ways that they might be able to succeed. Like he's still trying to figure out how to be a good coach. And there's like a tall kid and a short kid. And he's like, and maybe you two could like team up to form some sort of a super person. And then (laughs) like later on in the movie, there's a scene where like a ball is way up in the air and the taller player picks up the smaller player and puts him on his shoulders. And then the smaller player heads the ball. And while that's happening, the commentator is like, what's this? They're forming some sort of super person and then they like score a goal and it's like it's a hilarious like setup and payoff but that was exactly what was going through my mind because i was like is he really about to do this whole scene with yeah. him on his shoulders He's and then they have a super person yes and he does oh and he's a super person well, what, what about uh, rob picks up two guns and then he's just like leaning back and shooting without <laughs> looking shooting guys like that are lining up on top of the the guard towers and stuff or uh. when or when they climb they're climbing up the like guard tower right and they're like hanging off of it and they're like they like nod to each other and then they do some sort of like <laughs> crazy like uh, like swinging motion where and that ends up with beam kicking the guy that was on top of the tower off of the tower so they could land perfectly on top of it and then they're shooting at yes. them. They just cover, but they're like both cover their eyes. And the classic, like super, like that's my like that's my vulnerable part. If I get shot in the eye, that's that's the end of me. But shot in the arm is fine. <laughs> and it's like, uh, and and again, like I love that scene. And and seeing the movie poster, these literally got him on his shoulders yeah. in the in the movie poster. So it's like. All that stuff I think is awesome. It's unforgettable. I'm going to remember now, next time I see somebody on someone's shoulders, I might think of RRR instead of kicking and screaming. <laughs> that was the last time I saw an iconic shoulder action scene. Yeah. But, uh, but, but I guess just to get my point across, there were times where I was like, oh my, it's like hilarious, uh, almost beyond what I would be. It's beyond epic. Now it's, now it's funny. <laughs> it is hilarious. But- <laughs> no, it's so hilarious. I mean, I think uh, one of the like uh, one of my favorite parts of that sequence. I mean, there's all, all the like parts where they're like fighting people are hilarious, but one of my favorite parts is when they're hiding behind a, like oh like a wall. It's like a ruined <laughs> part of the of the prison, and a guard comes around the corner and like the spotlight comes around and it shows the silhouette of them on each other's shoulders, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, and that was a hilarious scene. But I wouldn't want the movie to not have it. If that's if that's what I'm that's where I'm trying to get that sweet spot where yeah uh, yeah. But um, I don't know. I loved it, and and for the most part, um, when trying to figure out why this movie is so long, I think there's a lot of reasons. I think this is a story that takes time to tell, but yeah. also I think they don't really try to rush anything. They let every sequence live out all of its glory. Oftentimes in slow motion, <laughs> it, it reminds me of Zack Snyder's Justice League in that Ooh. way. And uh, this movie didn't even have to get made twice to get to the director's like, wow. true Take that, like, vision. So. <laughs> um, like I loved the dance scene, the 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 Desi Notch, uh, and I don't even mind that they were teleporting all over the place or looking directly into the camera. It's uh, it's it's just fun, and and they get to celebrate what they want to celebrate in this film and, and they have no apologies about taking the time that it takes to fully enjoy those things. Um, 
But I do have a question for you. Was the Desi Notch scene diegetic? And also, were any of the singing scenes diegetic? Because before you answer. Well, okay. Well, just to, just to, the reason I wanted to ask this question because I thought at first they weren't diegetic because of the the teleporting and the looking directly into the camera. But the uh, when when Beam is being flogged, he sings a song that riles up the people, and it's confirmed that he was singing. Rom later says like he sang a song that like got the people to revolt. Yeah. So it, like. Does he have some sort of transcendent power where he could start singing and music just emanates from nowhere? Honestly, I think this is a silly question. It's not important, but I think it's fun. So what do you what do you think? Uh, well, I think it's like a, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, like even non-diegetic like um, musical numbers in you know traditional musicals, American musicals, you might say, are like they still advance the plot through character motivation, right? Like the, the characters come to realize something that's like the, the most internal version. But even one sure. when if they're like, you know, a duet or something, there's sort of an implication that like something is happening between them. Right. That they are having an argument or uh, you're falling in love or something like that. Right. So that's like, like their, their relationship is is evolving in that moment. The same thing is true for this movie where there is, um, you know, singing in things, but it is. A metaphor for what is actually happening still it's it's not necessarily it's not purely diegetic and yet it still advances the plot forward right so so it, so it be, even though kind of both right right i i think you're right like it, it's not necessarily that they were dancing directly at the camera but that dancing at the camera evokes the feeling of what they were doing like quote unquote for real which was like bringing changing the party up and like bringing the power of this dance uh you know to the attention of the people that were there so um, i think that makes so awesome oh my gosh (laughs) it's so freaking cool especially because it's also a competition yes like and like so there's like a winner of dancing i love it <laughs> yes and they had like they introduced jake just to make him look bad <laughs> like oh he has a name up. yeah his, his name is jake she says jake to him oh um, he, yeah, yeah he just shows up for that one scene just to be an asshole and then then to like flex on him that he, they're better at dancing than he is um <laughs> and that's it he's never in the rest of the movie he doesn't even have his lines or doesn't even shows up not even like in the group shots so it's um <laughs> it's hilarious and then i would have loved to see him in the final scene yeah in the, like yeah. that dance sequence <laughs> <laughs> just in the background yeah well, i expected jenny to be in that last scene but she was she definitely wasn't um wait what are you talking about she was she was in mine do we oh, have different she? cuts of the final dance scene no maybe I'm thinking she even else. she even sings she has like one line of singing uh, okay, where she's like maybe. on her own maybe i was just thinking that she only she had like a small part or something but because sita's like featured way more than she is yeah yeah um okay so yeah um but no i think that I think it is kind of a combination of both, but it definitely like it's so um, I don't know. It's so interesting because that dance sequence, there is no way you could tell the story without it because it's like he shows up to the party and then immediately after the party, the plot advances significantly, you know, and that wouldn't have happened without the dance sequence. It's almost as if they were like, we're just going to tie this in to the story as deeply as we can so that there is absolutely no way anyone could say, let's cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, they don't, but at the same time, while I'm watching it, it's like 
why would you ever cut this? Like, this is the point of the movie is to sh- is to get to the point where you have a dance sequence. They have an excuse to do a dance sequence. You know what I mean? Like, why would you totally even tell agree. the story if you're not going to do that? <laughs> I totally agree. I also I think the same thought process goes for the friendship sequence that happens after they save <laughs> oh the gosh. boy on the bridge. Oh my gosh! You can have a lot of ways to effectively establish the relationship between two characters, but. I dare you to find one more effective than the friendships like montage that we got between these two guys. I loved their friendship. It, I was sold on that uh, after seeing them like walking around together and riding the horse and the motorcycle together and eating together and just being just straight up best friends. They even did. And again, this justifies later on the, the shoulder thing because they even did squats while he was That's on right. his shoulders. I was like, dang, <laughs> This is this is levels of friendship I have yet to attain in my own life because my <laughs> friends and I've never done this, but clearly they're enjoying the crap out of it, and it's got to be because it's strengthening their friendship with every squat. So, it's so I funny because it's like like there's so many things that must be happening, but also must not be happening while they're doing this, right? Obviously, neither of them are talking to each other about why they're in Delhi or what they're doing, you know? Like, <laughs> neither of them are revealing like their true intentions about what's going on, right? Rom never even thinks to mention that he's looking for some guy that happens to be uh, in Beam's crew, right? He never says like, like they're on a motorcycle, right? And he's like, why haven't you showed me the picture? He's like, oh yeah, I guess I could. And then he loses the picture. You know, The in, wind in, blows? In Whoops. Tr- in true like Shakespearean fashion, like the, 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 the fate, fates have intervened for them, for this conflict to not yet happen. Um, but, oh man. And then, uh, but they also are like distracted from their actual goals, right? Like, they're not talking about what they're actually doing, but they're like, we, "Oh, I have some time to go out into the into the field and, you know, uh, do some pull ups on a branch with uh, with Beam." You know, I I, 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 have, <laughs> I have you know, I have time to like go out there and uh, you just kind of hang out, or whatever, in the, in the yeah. streets. <laughs> You know, sometimes when you've got a great friendship on your hands, it just takes precedent over like your lifelong mission. That's like the implication is that like they are just really good friends. Like it's (laughs) it's like on a deep level, they just like each other. (laughs) It's like they just get along, even though like it's set up that they should be opposites or like, uh, you know, rivals. Right. And they kind of are. But um, they they just get like they're so have such similar values or like they have such similar like temperaments that it doesn't even matter they don't even have to talk to each other about what they're doing or why they're doing it they just know that the other person is also just as cool as they are and i think it's important that you said that they don't even have to tell each other because they have multiple sequences where they communicate with like not even sign language like it's (laughs) it's like yeah they like signal to each other and then they just understand it was the the genesis of their relationship was the what happened at the bridge there Oh my gosh, that was so cool as well. I think what really sold it for me was the flag. Oh my because God, awesome. not only are they saving this kid, but also the flag is completely waving and fully visible during the whole thing. Oh my gosh, so yeah, but it's cool. Useful. The, the, the flag is not just like for... It's not just for to make it look cool. He grabs the flag and then wets it so that Beam can wrap himself in it so he can enter the fire without getting hurt. Uh, 
Oh, it's a genius. It's so cool. And then and then they <laughs> then they grab each other midair and they're like, ha ha. <laughs> they, they and and like they've both earned each other's respect in like the middle of such teamwork. Not to mention after that, they go underwater and they're like running in slow motion underwater and then they high five underwater. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so badass. Like this movie is full of such badass sequences like that. Oh, no, it's it's definitely friendship goals for sure. It's very definitely. It's very cool. <laughs> but while I'm in the middle of all this like praise for this film, I do need to like expand on my con when I talked about like the third act because uh, I, I did feel like it was a little bit rushed, a little bit convenient. Jenny gives like them the blueprints of the barracks without any information on how she got that or why she really wanted to help or how Beam even convinced her to help. Did he trick her? Did he tell her what they were going to do? Is she a revolutionary? Does she want to see the overthrow of the British government? I mean, obviously she wasn't a big fan of kind of the mistreatment of the Indian people, but that's a far stretch away from, I want to overthrow the British government and like kill all the people that live in the palace that I call my home. Right. Right. I think that's, I think it's a really good question because like I'm as I'm watching Jenny on screen, right, like her interactions with Beam, she seems like a nice person, right? But she's still benefiting from this tyrannical, you know, uh, like control over the Indian people. And maybe she has nothing to do with that. Maybe she doesn't have any political power or anything. She just happens to be there and is making the most of her situation and trying to, you know, you know, make life a little easier for the people that you know, she's interacting with. But at the same time, it's like, like, what is she actually doing, right? Does she actually believe that what they're doing, what, what her uncle and the rest of them are doing is wrong? Or, you know, is she willing to look the other way for the comfort of her life, right? So the fact that she was able to, she did help Beam directly, right? Actually gave him those blueprints, I think puts her over the edge as far as like a moral character, right? Someone who is siding with good, uh, throughout the movie not like just benefiting like not just you doing the aesthetics of being a good person while still benefiting from you know her position of like you know not just privilege but like you know as part of the aristocracy um so i i appreciated that but i mean it's something that's totally cut out of like where she gets that and and you know like how it involved it is it seems pretty clear especially in the second watch Beam isn't that interested in Jenny as a person. She's he's interested in the access that she might give him, right? She see he sees her purely as a as a um uh like a a, w- a way of getting inside the the castle or the palace. Rom mistakes that for infatuation, and it's possible that Beam thinks she's pretty, but it, there's no real indication that that's actually how he feels, right? He's his only motivation for getting to being with Jenny is to get into the palace. So even after he see after he gets invited inside, right, and they have tea together, um, and then he sneaks off to go talk to Molly, it's not really clear where their relationship has ended, right? And when he eventually comes into the palace and storms the palace, I think they do see each other, right? And she is surprised, obviously, that he's there. But um, it's not clear whether she feels betrayed by that or if she understands why he did that, right? Their relationship is almost entirely miscommunications so it's it's really uh it's really fuzzy about what exactly jenny knows or what she thinks um in this moment 
Right, and when that's your level of investment in that character, for her to be such a key asset in the resolution of the conflict seems cheap or you know rushed or hollow, whatever word you want to use. It's uh, so wasn't my favorite, and then also just having the flaming motorcycle land right where they need it to land in an <laughs> enormous stockpile of explosives that level the entire place in one fell swoop. It's like cool, but also. Wow, so lucky. Like, <laughs> they they had this one glaring flaw, the 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 Death Star like uh palace. Yeah, exactly. So it's um I was like, "Eh, I didn't want the movie to be longer, but I think it would have it w- definitely would have had to have been longer to be able to justify all that stuff fully." So I, I kind of shrugged my shoulders at it, especially because we still did get a cathartic end. It'd be one thing if that explosion ended everything, but we got to that scene where the governor gets shot with a bullet after they justify the value of the bullet, saying that it shouldn't be used to kill an Indian, but it, it would earn its value by using by killing an Englishman. Like Making him eat his own words is awesome. The load, aim, fire thing, just, oh, it's awesome. Uh, but it, it all it kind of rushed to get to that last little awesome bit. I so I I watched um a video a, a little while ago from Sean the that skull on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um yeah. he makes those like video essays. Um He, he, he makes ta- like one essay a year, but it yes, like pops off. And they're always really good. Um <laughs> yeah. he did one about Harry Potter recently um that I I think about all the time. One of the things that he mentioned was not Harry Potter, but one of Terry Pratchett's books, who wrote the Discworld series, um, which is a like sort of sat- somewhat satirical fantasy series. Um, and in that, in the story that he was using as an example, he said that uh, they they introduced some some form of oppression, some form of slavery in in that story, and our main character, who is supposed to be our hero, directly. Um, opposes it and then eventually takes steps to overthrow it. Um, and I'm not sure if it actually happens in that book or maybe in a, a later book that that actually happens, but he directly opposes this thing that he realizes is wrong. And he uses Harry Potter as the example of some of a um, of characters or an author who introduces some form of oppression, namely like slavery of the house elves, and doesn't do anything about it who just lets it stand as a fact of the world, even though everyone recognizes it as some sort of moral wrong. So when I see something like this, where they are directly opposed from this British government, right? The whole movie is about how the British are evil. Um, when the only resolution they, they could come up with that would be cathartic is to not let a single building stand, right? To knock down the palace brick for brick so that there's nothing left. Uh, because that's kind of what they're building toward. And if they were to simply kill the governor or, you know, let him live for whatever reason, right? They just kill the special forces and get away. They have not resolved the central conflict that they've introduced in this story. And I, I think that's something uh, that I want to be more aware of in, you know, movies I watch and also like stuff I write, you know, something where you're, if you introduce some sort of thing like that, you have to be prepared to destroy it. Um, if it really is something that you're deeming as evil. So like you set up a big villain like this, you set up a Death Star, you have to destroy it by the end of the movie um, or else it's just not, um, you haven't really solved the problem. And I guess part of that too is like, there's the story continues, right? This is the birth of the revolution 
by providing guns to the whole village, you're like saying, okay, now we have the opportunity to move on. Um, I don't know if you necessarily win the war with one flaming motorcycle, um, <laughs> but definitely, yeah, the, the symbol or like the visual is there. Um, there there's a couple other like things that, that, that bring it up with the governor. I think that similar to our heroes, his like evilness is what like elevates his abilities as well. Even though we don't really see that much out of him, the part where the tree smashes his car oh, and man, sends him so flying cool. into the air. Are you kidding me? It All it does is make it easier for him to equip himself with his sniper and shoot mid, like mid like air. Or, or I don't know. He might be standing by the end of it, but like he flies up and grabs his gun and then shoots their car. And like the power of his bullet is amplified by the fact that it came out of his gun. He's the one who pulled the trigger. So it sends it like cartwheeling off the side of the road. <laughs> And all this is consistent with what we're seeing in this film from like characters who have elevated, uh, you know, attributes about them. Uh, it kind of is proportional to their abilities, um, which I thought was I thought was consistent. You gotta um, you gotta admire yeah. a villain who gets his hands dirty. You know, he doesn't just yes. he, he doesn't just you know outsource. He does do that, but he but it, you know, when the opportunity strikes, right? He uh, you know he his car is flipping through the air or like about to is like rising through the air. He's coming up the guns right there yeah that's awesome he's not he's not you know some easily dispatched villain you know he's got he's got powers of his own so yes i I thought that was cool even though it was silly (laughs) and uh and before we move on i just have three i have to say three things that i think are like pretty insane um the first one is when rom throws nails in the road to intentionally pop jenny's tires like that's clearly a bad thing to do, but neither of them show any sort of remorse. They're like, oh, great idea. <laughs> Good job. This is perfect, uh, which I thought was like so out of pocket. And then when Beam is in the marketplace shortly after that with Jenny, he just runs over really quick while she's paying for something and crafts a bracelet at like one of the... like. One of the shops, he's like, I need to make something. Like, get out of the way and like let me use this. And he's also able to like put markings on it that he knows Molly would recognize. Like, genius move, but also insane that he was able to do that so quickly. I actually don't know how long it takes to make a bangle like that, so maybe it's not that hard. He's been, but I was blown away. He's been doing Minecraft speed running. He's been practicing his speed crafting. Yes, and then uh, and then finally the guy who. Is, is tied up when uh, Rom is torturing him, who's able to snatch a snake behind his back while it's trying to bite him. Okay, well, totally I, I, there's a reason for that, right? I mean, he's a, he's an animal guy. They, they all remember they all were on the woods capturing animals that they were going to release dangerous animals that were going to release on the governor's palace. So it makes sense that he would know how to attract a snake and maybe catch it. I think. Without looking, yes. Without looking. Hey. <laughs> no, and, and uh, well, and I guess to, to, I'll even strengthen your argument because Beam knew the antidote to that kind of like venom, which yeah. was like an uncommon thing to know, at least for the British. So maybe he's practiced this before. And you can just grab okay that stuff from like leaves outside of your little like right on their street, you know? Yeah. Not well, even maybe the British have this antidote, but Beam can just craft it with like stuff that's around him. it's like uh maybe he was practicing catching snakes behind his back long before this and even if he got bit they could treat it and then he could practice some more so sure there (laughs) awesome 
Okay, so I want to talk briefly. Well, I've written a lot by here, but I want to talk briefly about <laughs> metaphors. So in other episodes of this podcast, I've talked about how I don't really appreciate subtlety. It's not that I think subtlety is bad. It's more like if you're trying to get a point across, why not say what you mean instead of hiding your intentions? This movie is rich with metaphors um, and none of them are subtle at all. Rom is symbolized with fire, beam with water. Rom is the embodiment of free will and self-motivation, whereas Beam is driven by destiny and fate. I like these comparisons because these two men are not really at odds with each other. They complement each other. Neither, uh, nearly every scene calls back to these ideas, and it ties the movie together really nicely. It gives, it gives a coherency that's really satisfying to watch. One scene that is rich with metaphor that stands out to me happens right after Beam is publicly whipped by Rom. During the whipping, the governor's wife, Catherine, calls for a puddle of blood at Beam's feet. This doesn't really happen. Beam bleeds, and some of that blood runs off the stage, nearly wetting the crowd's feet. That blood remains long after the crowd has dissipated, and Rom returns to the whipping post to think. When he reaches down to touch the blood, it's a perfect metaphor for his conflicting thoughts in that moment. In one sense, he did succeed. Beam's blood flowed. But has Rom simply become a tool for the Empire? And is his friend's blood a worthy price to pay for his overall goal? When he reaches down to touch it, is he trying to figure out if he has spilled Beam's blood, the blood of the people he's working to save, or maybe even his own? Is he, th he is thinking about his friend and how he physically maimed him. But the blood symbolizes something else as well. When it runs off the stage into the crowd, it acted as the catalyst to energize the crowd. Beam succeeded in Rom's goal, and all Beam had to do was bleed. To Rom, this blood in the street represents his own failure, but also Beam's success, and perhaps a completely different approach to his mission. He says as much to his uncle. My father told me, this is a quote from Rom, my father told me to give a weapon to every person, but Beam's emotion turned every person into a weapon. I will give that emotion to the people. And that is one of the many turning points in this movie, when Rom decides his friend's life is more important than his mission. This also happens because, Beam's, because of Beam's actions on stage, and because he bled, but never yielded. It's just really cool. I love how like, there's so much richness in this thing, right? It's a, it's a quiet moment. It's not really emphasized that much beyond you know, Rom's sort of uh, realization. But to have the blood there as a metaphor and for it to mean so many different things and to kind of, and again, tie together these ideas of fate and destiny while also free will and choice um, just really like makes it such an interesting movie to watch. It makes you really appreciate what they're trying to do and how like well-written and well-woven this movie is. Absolutely. The way that his motivations are revealed um, makes it, like it's it's like almost two uh like major things about it. One is like we get to see what Rom is capable of doing before we know his motivations. And even though he has a strong friendship with Beam, we are thinking like like when when they fight in the courtyard at the party, it's like how can he do this to his best friend? Right. He he was like uh, the friendship montage. Like how can this possibly be something that's happening right now? And even though it later it's revealed what his motivations are, and we can kind of retroactively justify those actions, he also struggles with justifying those actions because it's not so clear cut. There's more. There's uh, that, yeah, that whole self determination and deciding what actions he has to take and what goals are really 
take precedent over each other. Um, yeah. yeah, I love it. It's very complex. I think it's time for us to move on to our cool Easter eggs, and I'll get started. Um, this movie was made on a budget of $72 million, which makes RRR the most expensive Indian film to date. Wow. Uh, it also is like the second highest grossing Indian film ever, um, which is pretty impressive considering how you know, Bollywood's been around for a while. Yeah, and, and it's, I, I mean, I it's think- done pretty well in, U- in the U.S. as well. Right, and I think it has to be that kind of quality to be on our podcast. <laughs> I mean, we're we're a couple of American dudes, and rarely does a movie from a different market um, make such an impact that we're like it comes to our attention. So I think like hats off just to that alone. Yeah, I think I mean I haven't seen any other Bollywood movies either, but to me this movie feels. Like it has like American influences to it, like the fact that they're like these guys are very superhero like the fact that there's British people that are speaking English in the movie, right um you know, everyone's familiar with this you know kind of time in history when the British were overseeing uh the you know India um and um this idea of like you know underdogs or a revolution coming to fruition certainly feels very relevant to right now when there's so many people out there that believe that you know you know something should happen there should be some sort of political action so it's a um it, it feels very much like it's part of this moment but also feels like it is kind of reaching across the pond or across the pacific ocean in a way so um i don't know i i feel like there is certainly a lot to like about it from a american standpoint as well and um I, I don't doubt that other Bollywood movies have that same quality. And um, although like, I'm not really like interested in kind of seeking out and retroactively looking for like others right now, I'm certainly more open to it than I ever have before um, simply because of this movie, especially if it's made by the same people, you know, um, I'm definitely much more willing to check it out. Um, totally. I enjoyed this one so much, so much. Yeah. And it'll give me or give us added context. The next time a Bollywood film uh, you know, comes across our screens because right. we'll have something to compare it to. Um, the other uh, Easter egg I have, which is it's not really an Easter egg, just something I noticed, was when Rom gets his hands on the grenades during the final battle. He like remembers the sacrifice that Baba made before he starts raining hell on the British soldiers. He's like, "Oh, like I'm about to be able to explode some British people, just like <laughs> when back when I had to shoot Baba's like." Uh, bomb that was like strapped to him. So, um, and I thought that was freaking awesome. Like effective oh, use of the screen because it's just like in the top right of the screen, you see him like a little flashback that happens in like mid scene, uh, which yeah, I thought was really cool. Really made those grenades feel that much more meaningful. Right, that is cool. Anyone? Anything else? That's it. That's all I've got. Okay. Um. So R R R. This is from Wikipedia. RRR is an entirely fictitious story incorporating the lives of two real-life Indian revolutionaries. Um, and I'm going to struggle to say their names. Uh, Aluri uh, Sitarama Raju and uh, Kamarana Beam, um, who fought against the British Raj and the Nizam of Hyderabad, respectively. Um, so these are two real guys who both... Uh, performed like revolutionary action uh during the british um i don't know they call it the british raj but the uh as the, when the british were controlling india 
these guys were like fighting against the police and attacking police stations and basically just kind of causing trouble um, in the name of revolution. And uh, these two guys never met in real life. Uh, but the director, uh, Raja Muli, said that when he read about these two guys, it was exciting to know that their stories were so similar, but they never met each other. But what if they had met? What if they had got inspired by each other? And that's what RRR is about. It is completely fictitious. The film is mounted on a very large scale. We had to do a lot of research for it to know costumes, their dialect, the way of living. And that is why it took so much time for us to get together. And there's two other movies that this, um, or two other, yeah, yeah, two other movies that this uh, director credits as being influences. One of them is The Motorcycle Diaries, which is a Spanish language movie about Che Guevara. Um, who is the Cuban revolutionary, um, which is a, based on a, like a memoir that he wrote. Um, the movie did pretty well in like kind of the, the, the what's it called, uh, festival circuit. Um, and it was, kind of, it was an international, internationally produced movie. Like producers from a bunch of different countries made this, um, although it did not perform very well. And he also said, Inglorious Bastards is one of the biggest inspirations when it comes to my films, especially... RRR. It was shell shocked. I was shell shocked when Hitler dies in that film and how the film brings it off as a big surprise. And as he's as he as I was reading this, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I was thinking of. This movie does remind me a lot of Inglorious Bastards in that it is sort of an alternate telling of history and that it's a sort of a celebration of violence <laughs> also. Um, so the fact that like it's especially the end sequence when they kill the governor, and it's like this never really happened, but like that feels there's so much like weight to that moment. Like they, it builds up to that moment so, so much. And the same is sort of true about the, when they kill Hitler in uh, Glorious Bastards, uh, where that, they have that elaborate plot where they're going to bring the Nazis into the theater and then light the theater in fire. And they go in there and they, sh they shoot Hitler. Uh, all of that is, of course, n never something that happened, but it's a sort of what if um, for, for, from Quentin Tarantino. And this movie kind of falls in that same uh, category of like historical fiction. Um, and sort but of also like a revenge fun. fantasy, exactly. Where it's not about necessarily resolving the situation; it's about doing the opposite to the other people. So it's yes. not about like getting convincing the British to leave through diplomacy. It's about exploding the British and <laughs> killing them all in fiery glory. It's yes. about arming the people so that they can. This this movie is very pro gun. Uh, and <laughs> oh yeah, they. It's about arming the people so they can shoot the British. <laughs> specifically shooting the british and killing them uh to so like again to to do a, a revenge fantasy much like uh inglorious bastards yeah 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 exactly so they actually i think they mention in the movie that um both of these characters are representations of two people from uh a hindu uh uh like uh, folklore or f like uh like um Hinduism, uh, Rama is a incarnation of Vishnu, so one of the most popular reincarnations of it. I reading these Wikipedia articles about these guys is insane because literally half the words I don't understand because they're names of people. And it's just like this guy did this in this place, and I'm like, uh, that means nothing. To me. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm not going to go through it and, and butcher the history of it, but uh, it, it, his is a reference to that directly. But and but then, that's like when he becomes the like flaming arrows guy. Is that the re is that like the embodiment mm, of that? Not exactly. I think more of his attitude in general. 
uh, he's like okay. some sort of like superhuman being. Like he's like uh, the supreme being is what uh, Rama is supposed to represent in like the Hindu tradition, I suppose. And then uh, Beam is represent is ref- a reference to Bhima, who is sort of like an Odysseus figure. He's like a from like uh, a very old ancient Hindu story about these uh, this guy who went off to kill a ton of people and was like a revolutionary. And, like all of his stories about how he killed thousands of guys like himself, basically. <laughs> so, um, and like specifically people that were like generals or um, you know in some sort of hierarchical position or position of power. Um, so that and he was like, had the strength of a thousand men or 10,000 men or something like that. So he was, uh, th- these two guys are sort of modern reincarnations of, of these two like ancient characters, um, in, in sort of, or at least, uh, like, uh, allusions to them in, in a way. Cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this film that where I definitely I don't think it stopped me from enjoying it at all. But there was a lot of things where I was like, ah, eh, this would probably be more meaningful to me if I understood who this statue of this like god is or whatever that they it was like in the middle of the woods where they like rub the red yes. spices or whatever on 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 Rom or if I knew who these people were historically, or if I just knew the history of India better. Um, again, I don't think any of that stuff stops you from it, but it sounds like that would have like an added bonus. The ending dance sequence where they're all like dressed up real nice. And it's just like in a studio almost they're referencing these people that were not in the movie. And I'm assuming are real life historical figures who are important to the history of India, yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to know anything about them unless I go and do some reading, which I did not do before watching this movie. So that's just the reality of it. <laughs> yeah. One other thing is uh, Rama is married to, or his lover is Sita as well. So Sita is also a reference to um, uh, Hinduism as well. Okay. So yeah, you're exactly right. None of that is very significant to me, uh, but it is, it certainly would be enhancing to for someone um, who's familiar with that those stories. Okay, Joey, I think you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. So I want to talk briefly about cynicism. Um, I recently saw something on Reddit. I don't remember which where it was. I think it was on r slash movies or something that said like, um, does any, can anyone recommend? some non-cynical movies for me. (laughs) (laughs) And I've been thinking about that ever since I saw it. A bunch of people recommended uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I agree, I think is a very non-cynical movie. And I think I would put RRR in that same category. It takes itself pretty seriously, despite there being a lot of kind of silliness to it. There are definitely moments where you're like, like it's, it's just very much over the top and like it seems like crazy. But um, I, at no point does anyone turn to the camera and go, yeah, that happened. You know, there's no, there's no like Marvel <laughs> quips or anything like that. The characters are serious the whole way through. They're, they're very serious about what they're doing. They believe in what they're doing. There's no like, um, you know, outside, there's no, you know, stepping outside of that or making references that they are in a movie beyond the fact that they are doing things that are aesthetically movie-like, you know? So that... I I really appreciate that, and I it's something that I think um, we kind of go in waves toward, uh, because for like for a, for a while there, like especially on television, right, there's a lot of shows that were very 
not, not cynical at all. Very heartfelt, right? They, they said what they meant and, and all that. And then we got kind of into like meta ironic stuff, where, which is fun for the most part, but it can also be really disheartening because you're like, that, not, nothing is taken seriously, right? It's all very, um, it, everything is sort of a, a commentary of something else. It's sort of a, like a dark reflection of it or like making a, making a statement about something other than what it is without ever like necessarily making something good to watch. It's just sort of uh, talking about how everything else is stupid. And then I think people get tired of that and then they kind of revert back to um, like something sincere. But then I think naturally of that arises irony and cynicism. And then then it sort of like gets like the grass gets cut and we get kind of back to um, sincerity. So I don't know where we are in that process right now. I think it's probably different for every person and every medium um, about where they are in that that journey. But I find our our for refreshingly non cynical uh, because it it is trying to like say something uh, and it's trying to make something fun that you want to watch and want to talk about and and enjoy without ever like making you feel stupid for doing it. You know. Yeah, and I, I agree with like the waves metaphor, or maybe it's like a pendulum right. where it's like you you go too far towards cynicism and irony, and then the the further you do that, the more there's this kind of want for something more sincere. But then you swing too far, you overcorrect, and then the process starts again. Um, and I, I think that's probably pretty true. Uh, although I just maybe I'm cynical in that I feel like in general we're pushing towards more and more cynical media. I think a lot of people like seeing that as much as we love to make fun of, uh, uh, you know, Marvel for being like, uh, yes. Uh, so that wasn't supposed to happen or, you know, it's like being too cool for the movie that they're currently in. Um, I think that at least if I had to take a stab at it, I would say in our current media landscape, at least for movies, it's actually kind of brave to, uh, make something that's this sincere and risk, being so easily made fun of i think that it, it, again i don't think this movie was necessarily made for american audiences but i think there the risk is that a lot of americans could see this movie and completely roll their eyes at it and and just call it ridiculous from front to back look at how much these characters like believe in the things that they believe in um that's ridiculous that could never happen this is dumb right. but uh, when you're able to pull it uh, like off, uh, not only is it refreshing, but it's also you know that much more rewarding for having taken such a risk instead of having you know, okay, so uh, like whose tiger is this that's scratching my chest right now? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> last time I saw a tiger was at the zoo. This guy is uh, he's out of the cage, out of the pocket. Yeah, I didn't touch your frosted flakes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, uh, which I, would definitely be product placement too. I think. Uh, <laughs> I think that. I mean, we've, I think we talked about this several times before, even on off-script episodes. But for me, it's always nice to be reminded that to like just to enjoy things, you know, like stop thinking so much about like whether or not it's like something uh, that says something poorly about me, and and just talk, like just kind of enjoy it for what it is. I think something like this um, is like has received a lot of like critical acclaim, and although it has some historical inaccuracies or whatever, and it does have sort of an exaggerated tone, it I think most people seem to enjoy it, 
And um, I, I think I, I err more on the side of enjoying things than I do of being cynical toward them, despite maybe some of the <laughs> podcasts we've done recently. I think that <laughs> it's, I, I want to, I don't want to fall into that trap of just always like being so cynical and, and never being able to appreciate something, right? I want to be able to uh, enjoy something sincerely uh, and also be able to pick something apart. Um, if, if it's if it's bad. And I think that if you fall too far into that cynical genre, if you fall too much into that and you're always just kind of picking apart things that you don't like, it it, it sort of becomes expected and your brand that you are like a cynical thing um, and you're never going to have anything nice to say about anything. And um, I don't feel that way in real life and I don't want to come across that way uh, ever. Yeah, and I think people like that are exhausting. You get tired of being around them because then... Absolutely. You know, no matter what you're doing, they're gonna have some smart ass comment to ruin it for you. So, um, I I appreciate you pointing out that this movie is very sincere in what it's doing. It is a nice, it is a fresh of breath air. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and uh, with that, I think we'll bring this conversation to a close. And as we do at the end of every episode of Affable Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to R R R? I'm giving this movie dancing until my legs give out. <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, for my rating, I will give this movie a slow motion underwater high five. <laughs> well Excellent. deserved. Uh, okay, so that is it for RRR. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? We are doing two movies on the same episode. We're doing Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick in a head-to-head old versus new. Haven't seen it since Aladdin. We're coming back with it. That's right. Going to be talking about both movies at the same time and comparing them on various aspects. Uh, we really enjoyed you doing that format for Aladdin. I'm hoping that we'll have better things to say about the newer movie this time. Um, maybe we Everyone won't be as cynical. Like yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. AffableChat.com is your new favorite website. There you can find the latest from us and all our social media, including our Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, uh, and YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then tell a friend about it. All you have to say is, have you considered listening to Affable Chat? Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Affable Chat. That's going to uh, do it for this episode. Do you, are you doing the outros now? I, no, I, I, was, I have no idea what to say, so this is yours. That's going to do it for this episode of Affable... Uh, well, now I don't know what to say. That's going to do it for this episode for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.